It says in 13, if anyone among you is suffering, what should you do? Pray. Is anyone cheerful, what should you do? If anyone is sick among you, what should you do? And if anyone among you strays from the truth, what should you do? Should be restored, okay? And so, you know, these, these might seem somewhat disconnected, but they're really not. And um, I have in green up here the kind of the key word in verses 13 through 18. There's a word that occurs in every one of those verses. It's the word pray or prayer. This passage is especially about prayer. You notice, and I'm going to start in verse 14 because we've done verse 13. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church. And I want to just go through, I'm just going to mention a number of the issues that we'll deal with here. Why call for the elders of the church to pray as opposed to a healer or someone with a gift of healing? What is the purpose of anointing with oil? And did Jesus ever anoint people with oil before he healed them? It says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? What kind of sickness are we talking about? And how is that any different than verse 13 when it says if anyone is suffering, let him pray, versus if anyone is sick, call the elders and let them pray. Is there something about this particular sickness that makes that different? Then in verse 15, we read about how the prayer of faith will restore the sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he's sinned, sins will be forgiven. And how does that relate to one of the most important words in this whole section, which is in verse 16, and it's the word, therefore. So those are some of the issues that we'll kind of go through here in the coming weeks. But what is therefore? Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Verse 15 says, when the elders pray, you'll be healed. Verse 16 says, when you pray for one another, you'll be healed. Confess your sins, there's two commands there, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you'll be healed. So I thought this morning I would dedicate our service and make it a service of confession where uh, I would like to ask uh, each one of you to come up and confess your sins to us <laughs> so that we can pray for one another. And then we'll confess our sins to you. And that's uh, James 5.16. Confess your sins one to another and pray. But the key word there is therefore. What does therefore tell us? What's that word therefore? Yeah. What happens in verse 16 is a consequence or an implication of what's in verses 14 and 15. And so we'll take that on a Sunday all by itself. This morning, I'm really going to focus in on the, the, the prayer aspect. And it's in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith 
will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. The prayer of faith, the prayer offered in faith. And so to begin with, this is really what I want to concentrate on this morning. Turn to James 1, 6, and 7, which is a verse that we've looked at before. So we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about faith, and how they're related, how, they're co- how they correlate. The prayer offered in faith, the prayer of faith. In James 5.15, James talked about faith and prayer in James 1, 6, and 7. It's in the context of asking God for wisdom. And uh, he says in verse 6, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed with the wind. That man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord. If you ask for wisdom, and you ask in faith without any doubting. Okay? So when we ask the Lord for things, we're to ask in faith without any doubting. What's doubting? Doubting. You don't really believe it. Or you're not certain of it or you don't you aren't sure if you really believe it or not doubting faith and doubt are contrary to each other when we pray and we are praying in faith but we're also doubting then James says don't expect to receive anything from the Lord So let's get this straight. If I ask the Lord for something and I believe it hard enough, the Lord will give me what I've asked. Is this the prayer of faith? If I ask the Lord for something and I believe it hard enough, then God's going to grant that to me. In other words, it's the response of the Lord to my prayer. Is it faith if I really believe what I'm asking the Lord for and I believe he's going to give it to me, and I believe that really hard, then that prayer is going to be answered. What do you think? So if I pray for something and I believe it without any doubting, and I don't get what I prayed for, how do I explain that? Not God's will? will Will God ever give me anything that's not his will? Okay, well, that question's coming up too. So, um, this idea, though, of praying in faith, where we define faith simply as something that I believe hard or I believe deeply, is really a misunderstanding of what faith is. Yes, Ann? Okay. But I, I never felt like he told me the wrong word or that he said a word necessarily or anything. I, I believe he could do it. Okay. So do I not have the faith because I don't necessarily say for sure that he actually is going to do whatever it is? Yeah, you're illustrating my message this morning. <laughs> so, um, uh, Dean, let's 
do the last song and go home. <laughs> no. Uh, could, you, could you say that a little bit so everyone could hear it, Anne? Just what you just kind of described. Okay, so your belief is what God, your belief, your faith is in the power of God, that he can do all things. But your faith is not in the will of God, that he will do all things. Okay, when God hasn't told you that he will, correct? Now, if you don't, if you're not, if you if you haven't been here, uh, Ann, Ann's husband Larry was uh, muscular multiple multiple sclerosis, and was bedridden for a couple years before the Lord took him home. And uh, uh, so, what Ann is saying, she had faith that God could completely heal him, but she didn't want to obligate God to do that necessarily because God hadn't specifically told her that he was going to heal Larry. You hear people say that. Yes, yes, I do hear people say that. But that's not what you're saying. No, I not. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here for. So, thank you. Um, faith is not merely believing but rather faith is believing in something God has spoken or promised or revealed about himself. Now that's really very important. There's one thing about our or mankind's relationship with God that God requires. And that thing is that we believe that what God says is true. The very first sin that entered into the creation of mankind was a lack of faith. Remember, what did God say to Adam in Genesis 2.16? Eat from any tree of the garden you want, but this one tree you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. Okay, that's what God revealed. That's what he said. True statement. Satan comes along. Eve says to him, God said, from every tree of the garden we shall turn, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they will surely die. You know what Satan's first response was? You shall not certainly die. God made a truth statement. Satan challenged it. And Abe believed Satan, uh, Eve believed Satan, Adam and Eve believed Satan rather than God. Faith is not simply how hard I believe something. Faith is always a response to something God has revealed. And I'll, I'll illustrate that for you this morning. It says, in, let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. So this is what's often called the faith chapter because it uh, kind of helps uh, define faith for us in chapter 11 and then it illustrates it throughout the chapter. 
It says in Hebrews um, 11, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. So the men of old, the old men, the men of old days, gained approval with God by their faith. Without faith it is impossible to believe God. For he who believes, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what I want us to do is look at a couple examples out of Hebrews 11. And what these examples are going to illustrate is this. The men of faith that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 were all responding to something that God had revealed to them. In other words, their faith was in what God had promised or said to them. Faith is all about believing the Word of God. The problem is, if you don't know the Word of God, and you don't know what God has said, and you don't know what God has promised, and you don't know what God has not promised, then we begin to create a God in our minds who basically we feel like who, who, who promises things that he really hasn't promised. Healing's a big one. A lot of people believe it is always God's will to heal. Well, where did that come from? Well, there's a verse that we'll look at shortly. But we know from both experience and really from the scripture itself that that is not necessarily the case. If it was always God's will to heal, why in the world does our prayer list grow larger and larger every week? And why are, why are some of you sick? Why do you get sick? Who's, who's responsible for that? So, if you don't know what God has said, your faith is going to be based perhaps on things that aren't true. And then when you don't get what you're asking this God for, you make God look bad because you get angry and you get upset and you get disappointed and you... Okay, so let's start. Hebrews eleven seven. We're going to start with Noah. Now, look at the verse. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. What did Noah do in Hebrews 11:7 that showed faith? What did he do? He built an ark. Why did he build an ark? Because God warned him, and he believed it. Abraham in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where it was he was going. What did Abraham do that was a demonstration of faith? He obeyed. Why did he obey? What did he obey? He obeyed the calling of God. God called, 
Abraham obeyed. God warned, Noah built an ark. Sarah, the wife of Abraham in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Where's, uh, this is an odd one. Where's, where's Sarah's faith in this? What is, where's faith, her, her faith shown? It says she, ha, what did she obtain? She received the ability to conceive. Why? In verse 11. Why was that ability to conceive given to her? Because she considered him faithful who promised. You see the sequence here. God reveals and then men and women can either decide whether they're going to believe what God has revealed and act on it in that manner or whether they're not. And again, um, uh, it, staying in Hebrews 11, there's not only a correlation between what God has said and people's belief in that, there's also a strong correlation in Hebrews 11 in a similar way between faith and promise. So I'll show you some verses in Hebrews 11 that correlate these two. Um, verse 9, talking about Abraham. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Why did Abraham offer up Isaac? Because he believed the promise. And what was the promise that Abraham believed? That was the foundation for him being willing to offer up his only son Isaac and put him to death. What was the promise that God made? He would be a father of nations, and those descendants that would become many nations would be descendants that came through his son Isaac. And so if God says, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, and I want you to put him to death on an altar. I, Abraham knew that God had promised that through Isaac, his descendants would come. He, later Hebrews tells us, Abraham knew that if he killed Isaac, God would have to raise him back to life because he promised. The promises of God are the foundation for our faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So I want us to see when we talk about this concept of faith, faith means belief, but the belief is in things that God has said are true. And if God has not, and if I could use your illustration with Larry again, we know God can do all things, but we don't know that God will do all things. 
You, you see what we, what we mean by that? We know God could have healed and raised up Larry. What we don't know is, is that what God wanted to do for Larry? Or was there some greater purpose that God would choose not to heal? You see? So this idea of, I have to know what God has said. I have to know the truth statements of the Lord. If in order, because those are going to be the, the object of my faith. Turn to Romans 4, because it relates to us and our salvation as well. Romans 4.20, um, and this is just another example, okay? So I'm just, uh, so, um, just a, a little plug. So on Wednesday night, we have a Bible study in the back, and, and Debbie is actually going through the promises of God to Abraham and his descendants. And this theme of promise runs through the entire Bible. That which God has promised becomes the foundation of the faith uh, that, that we have. Romans 4.20, notice, um, talking about uh, Abraham again. And let's start with verse... Um, we really need to do the whole chapter, but let's start with verse 18. It's talking about Abraham. Um, in hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able to perform. So when we talk about faith, and we talk about healing, and we talk about our prayer requests, it's not simply a matter if I can just get enough strong faith that somehow that's what God is going to reward. Our faith is based in what God has said is true. Now, okay, um, let's go back to the book of James because in this James passage where he talks about the prayer of faith, will restore the one who was down, will forgive sins if they've been committed, all on the basis of a prayer offered in faith. And then in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then we're introduced to an example of a righteous man whose prayer accomplished much. And that example is Elijah in verse 17. I want us to look at the prayer that Elijah prayed that's used as an illustration here. First it says, Elijah 
was a man with a nature like ours. What does that mean? Skin and bones. <laughs> Elijah was just like us. We are just like Elijah. We are of the same nature. Now, uh, honestly, there's a, some things about Elijah that um, where there's maybe a disconnect. Brian? Yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> and he did too. You see, Elijah was a man just like us, so this is the point, and the Lord now wants to show us, now look what he did. And the implication is, well, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That, that same thing can occur with us as well. Elijah. There's one thing about Elijah that makes him unique among the Old Testament prophets. I mean, he did a lot of miracles and things like that. But what's the most unique thing about Elijah? Yeah, he never died. He didn't die. Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire and fiery horses and uh, never went through the process of dying. Two men in the Bible, Enoch, and Elijah are the two men that we know never went through death. So it's not like he died and God raised him from the dead. He just never died. But Elijah, nevertheless, was just like we are. And verse 17 says, He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did, it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now doesn't that sound like he prayed like really hard and it didn't rain for three and a half years? That's kind of the implication you get from this verse. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. Now remember, Elijah is just like us. So what does that mean? Doesn't that mean that if Bob here prays that it won't rain for three and a half years, and he prays earnestly, like Elijah, that it won't rain. Doesn't it, Bob, doesn't it indicate that? So let's look at this prayer of Elijah that he prayed that stopped the rain for three and a half years. So Elijah, okay, Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. Okay, out of the 39 books of the Old Testament, pick one. What? First Kings. 17, good, thank you, Tim. First Kings 17. Elijah, oh, let's go there, everybody, First Kings, okay? This is a, this is a test, see if you can find First Kings. First Kings 17. Okay, um, on my Bible it's page 524, so if you go there, you might find it. If you have a tablet or something, you're out of trouble. You're, I mean, you're, you're, you don't have pages. First Kings 17, Elijah just shows up on the scene, starting in chapter 17. He just shows up. 
17.1, now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, says to Ahab the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. So this prophet of Israel shows up, and he's speaking to King Ahab, who's one of the more wicked kings of Israel, and he says, that there's going to be no rain on the earth until I say so. You notice how he, how he phrases it, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Surely there'll be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now there's no time limit here. What gave Elijah... Where did that come from? Let me show you where Elijah came up with this. Let's go all the way back further in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. Oh, I've got a, okay. Big ball game going on, I know. Okay, so I don't want to extend your stay here. What time's the game? Three o'clock, three thirty. Oh, we're doing fine. Uh, <laughs> look at Deut- <laughs> look at Deuteronomy eleven sixteen and seventeen. What's happening in the book of Deuteronomy is the Lord is giving instructions to the nation of Israel before they enter the Promised Land. And we can summarize these instructions in two broad categories. If you obey, I'm going to bless you. If you disobey, I'm going to curse you. And in Deuteronomy 11, we have some examples of what that means. So in Deuteronomy 11, um, 13, let's start with 13. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and your soul that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rains, that you may gather in your grain, eat your new wine and oil. Um, And then jump down to 16. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then jump back to that first Kings book and go to chapter 8. Elijah was fully aware of the warnings that God gave to his people. That if you disobey, I am going to withhold my blessings from you. And one of the greatest blessings in the lands of the Middle East is rain. And the Lord says to to, uh, Israel, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be disciplined. Now let's, that same principle is at work today. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. 
when we are obedient and walking with the Lord in faithfulness, the Lord brings blessings. The blessings aren't wealth or health necessarily. The blessings are that close daily relationship that we can have with the very God of heaven. In 1 Kings chapter 8, King Solomon has built the temple and he's bringing the ark of God into the temple and he reminds Israel of those two elements. If you obey, God will be with you. If you disobey, God will discipline you. And the verses I'm going to look at for us today is verse 35 and 36. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against you. And they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given your people for an inheritance. These two verses and verses like this, and it, go ahead and turn uh, again to chapter 17 of 1 Kings. These are the kinds of verses upon which Elijah was making his proclamation. The king of Israel is Ahab, his wife Jezebel, the two most evil rulers in the history of Israel. The people of Israel were worshiping other gods. They were not following the Lord, their God. And so God had begun the process of disciplining them. They were being defeated by their enemies. The Assyrians were coming upon the land to destroy it. And the very curses that God said would come upon the land were beginning to come. Elijah pronounces by the word of the Lord, rain is going to stop. In chapter 17. And he says, there will be no rain these years except by my word. And then in chapter 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So between chapter 17 and chapter 18, three years have elapsed. And now the Lord says, Go show yourself to King Ahab. I'm going to send rain. And so... In chapter 18 is a very uh, familiar chapter. That's the Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Remember that challenge? The challenge was over which God is the true God. Elijah represented the Lord, the God of Israel. The prophets of Baal represented the God Baal and his wife Asherah. And... Uh, uh, do you remember what the challenge was? How, how was the true God going to be revealed? Two altars were built. Okay. One for each 
That's right. You remember that? It's a really, there's a lot of little things in there that are really important. So two altars are built, and the deal is, whichever God answers by fire from heaven, and fire falls and consumes the, the sacrifice on the altar, that's the true God. And so the prophets of Baal, um, uh, so they flip the coin, and the heads uh, use this goal and tails this goal, and uh, so uh, Elijah, in the coin flip, deferred and let the prophets of Baal go first. And the prophets of Baal called out to Baal all day long. So much so that after a while, Elijah began to make fun of him. You know, call louder to your God. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom and he can't hear you. And, you know, he's... Uh, uh, and, and they call, and they cut themselves, and they cry out, and, and, and the scripture says in that account, and no one listened, and no one heard, and no one responded. Elijah has him step out of the way, and he steps up to his altar. He calls out to the God of heaven one time, let all of Israel know that you are the true God. Fire falls from heaven. It consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the altar. It licked up all of the water that was in the trough around the altar. This is after uh, Elijah says, pour more water on it, pour more water on it, pour more water on it. It burned up the stones, the wood. When it's all said and done, there's just a big black mark on the ground where God responded. The people of Israel cry out, the Lord, he is God. And then Elijah says, take all the prophets of Baal and the, and the prophetess of Asherah and put them all to death. And they do that. And then Israel turns back to the Lord for that brief time. During that period, no rain, just like the Lord said. But now that the people have turned back to the Lord, rain's coming. Now here's the actual prayer of Elijah that James refers to. And it's in verse 41 of, of uh, 1 Kings 18. This is the prayer. Um, let me start with verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today... Let it be known that you are God in Israel. I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. And then the fire falls. And then in verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Elijah, Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servants, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. He said, go back seven times. What's the servant looking for? A cloud. He can't see one. Elijah says, go back again. Look again. Nope. Look again. Nope. Look again. Nope. How many is that? How many nopes was that? Four. Seven times. Verse 44. It came about on the seventh time that he said, Behold, 
A cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. He said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind. There was a heavy shower. Ahab robe and went to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he also outran Ahab to Jezreel. But you see what's happening here? Elijah said, no rain except by my word. The Lord then says to Elijah in verse 18, chapter 18, rain's coming. Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel, and he begins to pray. And he prayed diligently first of all that it wouldn't rain but now that it would rain and the rain came that is elijah's example of a prayer of faith his prayer was based on what god had revealed and on that revelation he prayed and believed that it would happen and it did only the lord <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if I even need to say this only the Lord can give rain the last three or four days it's been constantly rain but that's coming from the Lord so it's a blessing a little a little of it it's a blessing so let me just bring this home to the prayer of faith for healing. Because that's what James says, call for the elders, let them pray. Let them pray a prayer of faith. And I'll, I'll, I'll take off with what Ann said when we pray. On what basis can I pray for someone to be healed? And we start out with a belief that God has the power to heal. He's revealed that. He's shown that. He's referred to himself as I am your healer. God has the power to heal. How do we know that? Because he told us that. He's revealed that in the scripture. So The second question is, therefore, has God promised to heal me or this person or that person? I know he has the power to, but has he revealed anywhere that that is his will to do that? And if he hasn't, on what basis can I even pray for healing? So if God specifically, and, and this, this is exactly what I hear, heard you say, if God has not told you that, Anne, I am going to heal Larry, your prayer for healing is really um, not certain. God can heal, but unless he reveals that he's going to, my prayer is based on something other than a promise. If God has promised to heal me, then I will be healed. Norma. Anytime a prayer is based on 
Yes. Okay. What Norma said is sometimes the healing is not physical, but spiritual. And often when the physical healing we pray for doesn't come, there's a greater spiritual healing that does come. Now, I don't want to diminish God's power to heal, however. But remember last week we talked about sometimes God will heal immediately, sometimes he will heal eventually, and sometimes he will heal ultimately. So right now, Dave, well, it's, uh, Barry's in the hospital, and he's healing. His body is healing. It's not immediate, and, and yet it's not complete. But we've all gone through the process to where we were sick here, and now we're better. We've been healed. So it's not always immediate, but ultimately, all healing through whatever means can be ascribed to the Lord. Often, Paul prayed three times for the Lord to relieve him from what he called a thorn in his flesh. And God said no. Do you know why God said no? Yeah, the whole purpose of that thorn, God says, was to keep Paul from humbling himself, uh, to keep Paul from exalting himself. And so the Lord gave him, it was a messenger of Satan, he called it. But it was just a thorn in his side. What's a thorn in your side? Yeah, yeah, something that's persistently, you know, just annoying. And that was just God's reminder to Paul. Paul, I let you ascend to the third heaven. You saw things nobody else has ever seen. You've heard things I've never allowed anybody to hear. Now don't get big-headed about it. Phil. That's right. What, what, what about God did Paul learn through, that, through, through, the, through the refusal to, to heal him? Yeah. That's right. And the other thing God says, my power is perfected. How? It's in your weakness. You see? So, you know, we want healing. We want to be healed. We don't want to suffer. But we need to think beyond just the, the body. Is there healing in the atonement that renders all sickness sin and guarantees healing from sickness? A lot of people will take 1 Peter 2.24, which says, by his wounds you were healed. It's actually a quotation from Isaiah 53. And the wounds are the wounds of Christ. And the healing in Isaiah 53 are these four words. Our transgressions, our iniquity, our iniquities, and our transgressions again. The wounds of Christ heal us from the consequences of sin. But they do not necessarily heal us from the ailments of our body. In other words, it's not automatic. Johnny Erickson, 
paraplegic, uh, injured in a diving accident. She prayed, she had people pray for her, she had elders come and pray over her. All people of great faith, truly diligently believing that she would walk again. She never did. And she has come to the conclusion, and she concluded that this was God's will for her right now. And what came about from that failure to, I don't, I don't want to call it a failure, God's refusal to heal her? She's had a worldwide ministry that has been blessed, a blessing to countless lives of people who are in similar conditions as her. And she is a living example of how by the grace and the strength of God, you can live above your pains and your ailments. Okay, so God hasn't promised, hasn't given me a promise that I'm going to be healed. Is there another basis on which I can pray for my healing? And there is. Yes. And base that upon the mercy and the compassion of God. God hasn't told us, you know, promises about every little incident in our life, but God has showed us the kind of God that he is. He's full of mercy and he's compassionate. Compassion is that feeling that you get when you see the suffering of another person that makes you want to relieve that suffering. God is a compassionate person. And I know he hasn't given me a specific promise that he's going to heal my son or my daughter or me, but I know that God is merciful and compassionate. He's merciful and compassionate. Therefore, he may heal me, not because he's so promised, but because he's full of mercy. And so we can kind of fall back on that one. Now, the promised one, is that's a guarantee. But God will be merciful to whom he'll be merciful, and he'll be gracious to whom he'll be gracious. Yeah, he's also merciful and gracious when he gives you Yes. See, it, God's got this picture that is so much bigger. You know, we just, see, we just see what we want. God's got such a bigger picture. Yeah, Brian? There is. I think there is. Yes. Uh, and and, I, and when, I, when I come back... Um, <laughs> 5, 19, and 20, if you, if you diligently look at this, I think summarizes the whole thing. Um, now, I've left parts out that really you need to hear before, you know, you see how I conclude that. But let me just, let me just conclude by saying this. There are certain levels of confidence that we have when we pray. If I'm praying for something that I know is God's will, here's the verse, 1 John 5, 14. 
1 John 5.14, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So if I'm praying for something and I know that something is God's will, that's for me. James 1, if any of you asks wisdom, uh, ask, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men unsparingly and it'll be given to you. So that's something I know we've got. If I need wisdom, I can ask for it, and I can be certain God's going to give it. If I, um, if I need strength to endure a trial, I know God's going to give me that. How do I know that? Because he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so when you... The Lord says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, if I pray to be filled with the Spirit, that's something God, I know is God's will for me. I can be certain God's going to give that. How about praying when I'm not certain what God's will is? Well, that's when we base our faith on the character of God. Yeah, and that really is going to go to what Brian brought out. Well, this, is anyone among you? Is anyone among you? Is anyone among you? That, that's, there's something's being said there. Let me, just, let me just say this. Remember when David committed sin with Bathsheba, the Lord told him something. He says, the child that's born is going to die. That's what the Lord said. What did David do? He did it for seven days. He prayed. What did he pray? He prayed that that child would live. Here's what he says. Who knows? God may be merciful to me that the child might live. David, in spite of the fact this is what God said, he pled for God based on God's mercy and compassion. And you know what happened? The child died. So sometimes God will respond in mercy, other times he won't. When the people of Nineveh, the Lord gave them the word, here's the word for the people of Nineveh, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. The king of Nineveh calls a fast. The people put sackcloth on and they humble themselves before the Lord. And the king of Nineveh says this, who knows, maybe the Lord will be gracious to us and we live. And you know what happened? The Lord was gracious to them, and they lived. So sometimes when we aren't sure what the Lord wants, we, we, just, we, we, just, we just do this. Who knows? The Lord may, or the Lord may not. But I'm going to express the desires of my heart. I want to close with one more passage, just because you haven't been in this book for a long time. 2 Kings chapter 20. The king's name is Hezekiah. Second Kings chapter 20. Okay, and this, this is the, this will be the end. And we'll read uh, 14 verses here of chapter 20. No, 11. No, we won't even read that. Seven, okay, just seven verses. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. You're going to die, 
and not live. Pretty straightforward. That's the word of the Lord. Hezekiah, you're going to die. You're not going to live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember, Lord, I beseech you how I've walked before you in truth with a whole heart, done much good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and my servant David's sake. So here's an example where the Lord expressed his will. Hezekiah, you're going to die. Hezekiah prayed. He wept. He pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord says this. And you need to remember this. When you're praying in a difficult time, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. So sometimes it's just the grace and the mercy of the Lord that brings our healing. But whether he heals or whether he doesn't heal, God is always going to base his choice of one or the other on what is going to best bring glory to his name. But it's all about belief in, in what God said. You enter the kingdom of God and you, you, you get your sins forgiven by believing what God has said to be true about your sin. You go to heaven, not because of what you do, but because of what you believe about what God said. And when he says that if you put your trust in his son, your sins will be forgiven and you will be forever in heaven in the presence of God. And that comes about only if you truly believe it. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. When God says it, it's true. And so whether it's healing, whether it's salvation, if God has said it and you know and he's promised it, then you can place your faith in that promise and it will come about. Amen? Okay. Father God, we, um, you know, Lord, the hard thing is a lot of times our relationship with you is limited to what we do on Sunday. I pray, Father, that this week, most likely every one of us are going to have some kind of struggle or challenge or hardship. Or maybe we're living through one right now. Lord, there are certain things you have promised us. You've promised to sustain us by your strength. You've promised to give us a hope for our future. And you've promised to give us a peace in the midst of our anxieties. 
because you have also promised that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Your love for us is the foundation of all that is good for us. And whether our bodies are healed or whether they're not, we are grateful that you make our inner man new every day. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus who cleanses us from all sin and that when these bodies are dead and gone, our spirits will be in your presence forever. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.